0: Welcome to episode 24 of the Through the Point podcast. This week I was fortunate enough to host the official retirement ceremony of two-time Olympian and Olympic Trials record holder Cyrus Hostetler. I'm kind of joking about that because he hasn't thrown since 2017, but in the middle of the interview he just sprung on me that he never officially announced his retirement, so he's doing it on the podcast, so I was lucky uh, to get that insider scoop, if you can call it that. In the interview, we hear so much about Cyrus's amazing journey, which he battled so many injuries. He improved 20 meters in two years, which is one of the most insane things I've ever heard. Went to two Olympic Games. He battled a ton of things with USATF, and he campaigned for athletes' rights, and then also talked about the harsh reality sometimes of being an American javelin thrower. So I appreciate uh, him being honest and open and talking about everything he went through right before we did the interview he was really telling me what he felt would be most effective to truly tell his story and I'm really glad I had the platform to allow him to express that and really talk to us all about some stuff that we may not have known about or struggles that he had gone through if you want to check him out on Instagram his page is at chastetler15 I hope you all enjoy I'm here with two-time Olympian and Olympic Trials record holder, which is something I did not know until right before this interview started. Cyrus Hotstetler, uh, Cyrus, thanks for coming on the podcast. Hey, man, how's it going? We were just uh, having some lag issues, so we're back re-recording it. So we're gonna go over what we uh, what we were just talking about, but it'll be new to all you guys. So, Cyrus, uh, I loved all the training you were doing uh, at home and the setup you've got there. Like, how did that come about, and like? Yeah. Just what inspired you to make that home gym? If it's that, I think it's at your house.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I've got a, a little mini home gym in my garage uh, in San Diego and uh, my girlfriend plays rugby and she's trying to make the world cup. I'm trying to stay in shape. Um, I was, I had a, a gym membership and I was just finally getting my strength back. And when the pandemic hit, I was just like, no, I'm not <laughs> losing all of my muscle again. I'm not <laughs> fighting for this back. So uh, just started building the gym um it 's really tiny, but it 's getting the job done and it 's uh i love it. I highly recommend it to anyone
0: yeah it 's good that you're able to be resourceful with that and use that little space and like what looks like probably a one car garage or something like that really small spot but you 're able to at least at least make the most of it and it 's probably more than most people can say they 've done during this time so that 's good yeah. on your end
1: <laughs> it 's also like where i paint it 's where I like build things, so i've got too many hobbies and it has to <laughs> you know double triple as everything else that's a good problem to have
0: so going back to your athletic background uh growing up i know you had a ton of athletic involvement in college and i'm sure high school as well but how did it start and what was it like before all the javelin stuff
1: yeah so i mean um i don't come from a very athletic family actually i should say that um you know my dad played some like seventh grade baseball and a little bit of football my sister did like discus and track for a little bit, but no one had any real success. Um, but I, I played sports my entire life. Like like I, I was always playing basketball, football. Basketball was my first love, fo- closely followed by uh, football. Um, but yeah, when I f- found out that I wasn't going to get any taller, three, um, I had chances of – playing college basketball was probably, you know, pretty minimal. Yeah. Um, and I was trying to get recruited to go play football. Um, and even that was like going to be a struggle. Um, but I was, I could throw a football 70 yards, um, you know, 50 yards without even taking a step. So, um, you know, baseball, I was a pitcher, but couldn't really hit. Um, so my senior year I petitioned to do two sports in the spring Uh, doing baseball as well as track and field. Um, So I I was 18 years old. Um, I would uh, try and track and field for the first and uh, Newburgh high school where I'm from is actually really, really well known for javelin. We have a really good javelin coach. There's always a guy throwing over like 60 meters um, in the javelin in high school at our, at our school and even um, the girls were really good too. So Rachel Yurkovich, um, she actually, I went to high school with her. We went to college at Oregon together. Um, and then we both made the 2012 Olympic team together. Um, so really special what we had at Newburgh High School. Um, and I was on recruiting trips in for football, actually, um, down in Southern California, looking at some D1 AA schools and stuff like that. And I just started throwing the javelin um threw about 178 off the grass. And and uh uh when I was on a recruiting trip, she was had the same idea that you know maybe you should pursue track and field um instead. Um, you know. Maybe that would be best. Maybe you could get a scholarship because we didn't have any money whatsoever. So, really, um, that's when I really started pursuing the javelin as like a potential to get into schools and things like that.
0: Now, that's really interesting. That I mean, a lot of people start maybe like sophomore, junior year, but like just as your senior year, and you're already on recruiting trips for another sport, like that's a pretty unique experience, I would say, that all of a sudden you're like, flipping the switch, which also though Riley uh, last week kind of had something like that where he had been throwing the javelin, but thought he was going to play football and baseball. And then all of a sudden it's just, yeah, I, I didn't was work out. set
1: on going playing football. I love football. And I, I was even like, man, if I could go play D3 college basketball, I would do it. Um, anything to kind of potentially get my education paid for and, you know, have a really great time doing it. Um, but no, I mean, track and field was just, it was the thing that was going to take me somewhere. Um and so I, I just wanted to take advantage of that.
0: So what were the offers like uh, outside obviously you ended up going to Oregon as you mentioned, but what were like the other offers like and just all that recruiting in
1: general? Zip, man, zero. Really? So, um no one even knew who I was. Like <laughs> my first meet I won uh was three weeks into throwing, and I won I threw or maybe it was five weeks in throwing, sorry. Uh I threw 186 to win at a meet on my first meet ever. My training partner stabbed himself in the knee. Um, and uh, my first home meet, I throw 198. So I don't even know what that is. In, That's know, like that just year.
0: over 60, I think.
1: It was, yeah, it was right around 60. And, uh, and I was the number one thrower in the state and, and no one knew who I was. <laughs> and this is probably already like in May. So like who's gonna be recruiting in May and not have like their spots like already fulfilled. Right. So um June came and we or maybe it was June, yeah. I'm guessing it's early June for state, and I threw two oh one and I actually got jumped. The guy that stabbed himself in the leg, my teammate, ended up winning, throwing two thirteen six, and then um another guy from a different school threw like two twelve and took second. So I'm like I took third with you know a sixty one meter throw. Um, right and then i basically had redemption i got to go to usa nationals um and i knew that the farther i threw at usa nationals for junior sorry junior nationals the better chance i had at maybe going to a school uh because i had no offer still again no one knew who i was um and uh i ended up throwing 205 it was it's was a personal best i took fifth and uh that's when I finally got, I got an offer. I got an offer from Weber state in Ogden, Utah. Um, and it was full tuition, meant um, man, I didn't get any stipend for food, didn't get any stipend for, you know, rent or anything like that. I had to still find my own housing, pay for my own books, things like that. Um, they didn't have my, you know, preferred education that I wanted to do, but um, there was something close and they said, and you have to like leave in like four weeks. So I signed July 11th and I think I drove out like a month later Oh in wow. The car. So that was like really my only like in writing offer that I got. Um, and I, I was just happy to have anything because otherwise I was just going to go to a junior college or something like that. So,
0: and I mean, that's like you said, obviously there's some things that weren't included, but that's not a tiny offer for having like your only one. Like they still gave a pretty sizable uh contribution it seems like. So the fact you're able to get that at like you said so late that it's like, yeah, maybe they would people would love to have you, but where's the money gonna come from? Like they don't really have anything at that point.
1: Yeah, I mean so that's a forty percent scholarship, uh is 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 full tuition. Um I think the rest is made up by books, is like ten percent and and housing is normally like, I don't know, right around fifty. Um, but if you think about it, when I was at Oregon, I know the men's team had 12.69 full ride scholarships to divide between its entire team of like 66 people. So for me to have like full tuition was actually like a really massive scholarship, uh, especially at these smaller programs, they don't have 12 scholarships to hand out. Right. they might have only five. So, um, yeah, I was, I was really fortunate.
0: So you end up going there and how does it go during, I think, well, now that I'm looking back, I completely forgot about that, that you went there, but you were only there for a year. Like how does that year happen? And like what were maybe some lessons or some major uh, moments from that?
1: Yeah. So they were a D1AA team and they were like a football team on the rise. And I was like begging my coach to play tight end uh, for their team. Um, But because they're kind of like paying my way, Uh, They got to basically choose what I was able to do. So he said, no, I want you to learn the hammer during the off season and the weight throw. And for a guy my size, like, and my strength levels, um, (laughs) the weight throw, it throws you. So um, I didn't do well. I didn't compete indoors. Um, And then uh, uh, I I redshirted my first year. And I still competed at some stuff. Like, so I went to the Oregon Twilight on my spring break and competed at Oregon at the Oregon Twilight. Or, sorry, not Twilight. The the Oregon Preview. Sorry, and uh, just destroyed my elbow. Oh God. And then I came back, and my coach was like a distance running coach that was like doing the throws just because he needed a job. Right. And so he's just like, Oh, like you just need to do better technique and you'll be fine. And I'm like, no, I think I really need rest. <laughs> yeah. And uh, he's like, no, 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 just, just keep training. You'll be fine. So like four weeks later, I'm at a BYU meet again, competing unattached, red shirting and um, my elbow just pops. And uh, I, I think I I never got an like, MRI. They gave me an x-ray and they were like, Oh, the bone didn't detach from your elbow. So you didn't tear anything. And I'm like, <laughs> definitely yeah you. so um i asked for my release and my head coach was amazing and he's just like yeah go wherever you want man um and i went back home and because uh, i was miserable there um and decided that i was gonna pursue architecture which is what i wanted to do and university of oregon had a really great program there um and i said well let me get i can't afford to go to Oregon, but let me get all my required classes out of the way at the community college that's in Eugene, Oregon, right next door. And, and I can you know get most of my education done there. So I went to Lane Community College and uh, started playing basketball there uh, my first year and did track there. So I actually thought I was gonna be done with track, um, but when I found out that if I kept doing track, I could probably get a little bit of scholarship and pay for my tuition at a community college then I said, sure, I'll do it.
0: No brainer right there.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I did get to play a little bit of college basketball after all.
0: Well, there you go. That, that uh, makes high school you super happy. So yeah. did you did you end up having surgery on that elbow or was that just like a rehab thing, even though you knew it was all messed up?
1: No, yeah, I did not get surgery. So that's why I think it's probably just a partial tear. Um, but um, the I mean, you got to think community college, you know, physio, this guy probably doesn't know a ton. Um, but he was like, you know what? You haven't thrown anything in 10 months. You probably have a ton of scar tissue. Um, you're just going to have to keep on throwing and breaking up scar tissue and rebuilding that, um, that elbow. And sure enough, that's just what I did. Like every day was a pain. I had like this UCL Don joy elbow brace on and this tape job underneath that. (laughs) And I was just throwing terribly. Like, you know, I, I was a 63 meter thrower and I was throwing, you know, 50 meters uh, at meets and I was just sick of it. And I remember going to a meet at Willamette and just throwing so bad after I thought I was going to make a breakthrough. And I just ripped off the Don Joy brace and I threw farther and I was just ready to just tear my elbow again. I didn't care. Um, I was just wanted to throw again and, or, you know, throw far or be done and then i ripped off the ucl tape job like immediately after that and i'm just like i'm just gonna rip this thing and i threw farther and it was like this mental breakthrough of just like you just need to go for it um so i ended up um at our regional meet i ended up throwing i think god what was it like i ended up throwing 60 meters or something like that again and i was just like oh my gosh like i may be able to do this again right so I, I, uh, I, I did it a second year as well, actually, at Lane Community College.
0: Okay, so you finished, you did, was it, it was your redshirt freshman year, or no, your regular freshman year before, while you were redshirting at Weaver State, then Lane for your, I guess, redshirt freshman, then another year at Lane before Oregon? Yeah,
1: yeah. And then I remember in the summer, or not the summer, but like one of our last meets, my coach at Lane, he was like, dude, you're actually a really good athlete. He's like, he's like, I think I want you to lead the team and, and be a decathlete um next year and i was just like what i've i've done one like i did long jump actually in in high school uh i was like i've done like two events man like what think what makes you think i do 10 so i'd actually dropped like 20 pounds over the summer preparing to like not make a fool of myself <laughs> yeah. and um and then i threw like 220 in practice one day and i was just like holy cow and i was having all kinds of like hamstring issues training for the decathlon and they were just like just throw the javelin man. Like, so, um, but I had all the training, like all the sprints and all the jumps and all the, like the, you know, we started doing shot put and discus and you start connecting some of these, these dots of how the kinetic chain works and you become a better athlete. And I think like, that's really what started springboarding me into throwing farther. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, so my second year at lane at my um, at our national meet I threw like 73 meters. So it was a 10 meter jump. Um, it was just insane. Like we didn't expect it. And I was throwing farther than all the Oregon athletes as well. Right. So I ended up making the Olympic trials in 2008. Oh, funny story about that. Sorry. I'm like rambling. No,
0: that's okay. Keep going.
1: But my, my physio that I was like, not a very good physio. Um, when I threw 221 in practice, I started Googling like, what that meant and what that was in the us and stuff like yeah. that and then i found out 2008 and that this is an olympic year and i'm like i knew what the olympics was but i never knew anything really about it. i've never watched it didn't know anything didn't know the events um and i started googling i'm like there's there's an olympic trials and i was like holy cow and i found out i was only like 10 feet off of like making the like the b standard or whatever for the olympic trials And I was like, maybe I could do this. Um, And I I told my physio that. And he – and one of our hurdlers, she was like, you're going to make the Olympic trials? And I'm like, I don't know. Like, I'm going to (laughs) try. And he was just like, please. Like, Cyrus has about as good a chance of making the Olympic trials as you do. And she wasn't, like, a very good hurdler. And I was just like, you know what, man? I'm going to prove you wrong. So – yeah, I ended up making the Olympic trials. Um, <laughs> I lost to Bro Greer by one foot, so that was my only chance. That was his last meet, so I was <laughs> a little bit disappointed, but uh, I had plenty of opportunities to to beat some other really talented javelin tours in my career, so it was all right.
0: Yeah, that's absolutely awesome, and the fact that it's not even like, yeah, I'm going to make the Olympic trials eventually. It's like, no, this year, like especially as you said, you, the year before you were throwing 50 meters with the sore elbow and all these things, Like, I mean, I don't think anyone – could have predicted even yourself probably that 73 63 or whatever you end up throwing like is what's coming out of you especially at important meets like that's incredible
1: oh and I had I had the craziest ideas like um I I was watching like Sergey Makarov uh Russian javelin thrower Yeah. was like a 91 92 meters and he wraps so much and I was just like oh my gosh like I'm throwing 73 I'm not even wrapping yet I'm like (laughs) wait till I start wrapping and so I started like okay if I throw 73 well what if I throw 83 at the trials and make another 10 meter jump because I wrap. And I, I started wrapping my knee with like a weightlifting wrap, hoping they would give me like the super solid block and stuff. <laughs> and I was just like, I was so dumb. Um, and I started like selling t-shirts to like afford a passport and stuff like that, just in case I made the team. Um, and yeah, I didn't make the Olympic team in 2008, but, um, yeah, I think you start getting these ideas. Um, and, and and one thing, I think it's it's almost a bad thing to throw far early on because then you're always chasing that that mark. Um, and that's what something that I did like my entire college career. So but yeah, let's go on.
0: Well, so Dev, yeah, we're all impressed. Wow, nice 10 meter jump from 63 to 73. But the next jump maybe, well, not maybe, is probably 200 times more impressive than that is your next year at Oregon when you throw eighty three sixteen? is that right
1: yeah yeah um it was like our third meet of the year um and and I have video of it on YouTube you guys can watch if you care um but I was a uh, we went to Cal uh, Berkeley or no we went to Stanford sorry like a week before and I was thrown against Ryan Young who threw 250 uh 76 meters and I was like scared because he's six foot seven and like the strongest guy in America. And, um, ended up beating him. I threw like 74, 44 or something like that. I want to say, and it was a new personal best. Um, and so we went into our home meet and I remember my coach, uh, I got a new coach at Oregon, Danish record holder at 64 meters, a female and like the best coach I've ever had and the best coach to ever be in America. Um, couldn't have been happier to have her, but, uh, yeah, she, she sits us down before the meet and she's like, Cyrus, your goal is to throw 70 meters again. And Alex, who was my teammate in high school, who went on to Oregon, she's like, your goal is to throw 70 meters as well. <laughs> and, um, and I had bigger hopes cause, uh, the school record was like 77. And I was like, Oh, you know, again, what if I throw a little bit farther? So, and then my first throw I remember just being super calm. It was like 10 a.m. Like the dew was still fresh on the grass. The the fans at Oregon, like we get like six thousand people at home meets, but at 10 a.m. at the first event, like you got a couple thousand. Like no right. one's really there, uh, and that's still a ton. But uh so I I hit this one, and it just doesn't it doesn't stop going. It just kept <laughs> floating, and I was like. I was, in, in, it was incredible. And even my coach's husband, he like dropped the F-bomb on the video. You could hear it in the background and they, they pull tape. I mean, they just had to run tape forever and they pull tape and where they pull the tape to the line, I was looking at where the tape was like three meet, three feet behind it. And I look at the tape and it said 275, so that threw about 272. And I, my mind was just blown because it was a, like a nine meter jump. Right. And my teammate's like, how far was it? And I said, you won't believe me.
0: (laughs) No, that sounds like a lie. That literally sounds like a lie.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I just like, I'm not even going to tell you. So they read it off uh, 83 16. It was a school record by like six meters. Um, The same day at Texas Relays, Corey White from USC Mm -hmm. threw what he thought was the Pac 10 record, but I had actually broken it by like another (laughs) 20 centimeters just before him. Um, so from what I heard was he was flying on his plane home and he was like, he heard the news and everything like that. He was really sad. I mean, he just threw 82, like 90 or something like that. (laughs) And they're like, why are you sad? Like you just threw 82 meters in college. And he's like, yeah, but someone else threw 83.
0: (laughs) So that was my (laughs)
1: rival. Uh, Corey White. I mean, if I could hear a podcast of anyone, I would want to hear Corey really? White's story. So I yeah, got to I mean, write that down. Up. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Because I heard tons of stories about him and, and, you know, we had encounters, but it was never really friendly, um, sadly. But uh, yeah, I mean, I would have loved to pick the brain of him. Yeah. That's just
0: like, obviously, that's awesome. And I'll definitely keep that in mind. I, I didn't even really know who he was until I posted a video of him not that long ago because I had been looking for some Sean Fury stuff and there was like Corey White footage right by it but uh like I can't even imagine seeing that land at the point where two years ago you were just seeing him land 200 210 range and now you're landing. like I, I just like I remember when I was at Chula Vista last summer I was throwing about 200 and I saw the 80 meter line out there and I'm like like it just looks like it's an acre away. Like it's just incredible how far away <laughs> that yeah, looks so from 60. And it's just like I can't imagine an actually landing there not very far uh in the future. So they totally
1: mind screwed us at Nationals. Um we were in Arkansas, I wanna say, and they put a ninety meter line out there. <laughs> because I had thrown eighty three, Corey threw eighty two, like ninety, and then sorry, yeah, Corey, Corey White, and then Chris Hill from Georgia, absolute freaking beast he was throwing just like 80 81 or something like that so we had like three guys over 80 and they were all just hoping that we'd throw 90 and it was just like now everyone was chasing for it we had rain delays for like two hours where i was like stuck in a or lightning delays i was we threw like midnight or something like that it was insane but uh but yeah i mean the biggest thing actually what i wanted to talk about a little bit is that you make this 10 meter jump, then maybe you make another 10 meter jump. And so now you realize anything's possible pretty much. (laughs) And you still realize that you're still 10 meters away from some of the best guys in the entire world, what they're throwing. So, um, so you're constantly chasing after more and more. And even like, I looked back at my 83 meter footage and I was just like, you didn't hit a straight leg block. Like you, you could have nailed that better. Um, and so I was always chasing after more um, and it was a huge detriment to myself. I mean, the next I threw 78, the meetup for that was 76 then it was 74. Um, and and, it, and it, I just struggled like the rest of the year and I don't want to like name names too much, but I, I feel like we, we, we have this problem in America. Um, look at, I mean, you mentioned that you, you'd thrown with Nick Howe earlier um, he had a massive, like 78 meter throw at Tucson. And then all of a sudden he has every coach in America tripping in his ear on what he needs to do and why he's the next biggest thing. You know, I think Tim Glover had massive, uh, jumps, uh, uh, Tim Van Lou through like 79 Ryan young, like 79 meter thrower. We had so much talent in America, but, we kept chasing these marks and why we were going to be the next biggest thing. And, Mm -hmm. you know, even, even, uh, Curtis, um, Thompson, like, dude, the guy is a beast and through so far, and now he's trying to refine it. Um, so yeah, I, I, my biggest suggestion to anyone that is still is throwing right now is if when you find success, keep doing the same things that you're doing. And don't go looking for answers and ignore the people that are trying to give you answers because those people that are trying to give you like unsolicited advice are probably the ones that are trying to like take credit for when you do eventually have success. Right. So
0: that's yeah. incredibly good advice. And like on a way, way smaller scale is like, my last year i was talking to you before the podcast i had struggles but i was just taking in anybody who said something to me i would try and do whatever and it was just like things got a lot better when i just took one person whether or not they're 100 percent right or 100 percent wrong i just took that one person and was like okay this is who i'm listening to and like obviously maybe you have like one or two people on the outside that you're like friendly with but like one main person that this is my go-to person and this is what i'm going to listen to and i've had good results from that but obviously and then you say like when you're in that 80 meter range and they're trying to get you to be 85 90 meter range like that's even worse like you can mess up someone who's throwing 60 meters you can mess up a lot more and they'll still probably throw around that but like when you're getting those elite distances like and you watch like those elite people like roller and all those other people like there's not that huge of a difference between they'll throw 77 and then they'll throw 90 in the same meet and it's like i imagine if you like really do that technically like if you're throwing 80 meters you could get doomed pretty quick
1: yeah i mean I, i mean reach out to roller and better. I mean, they'll probably answer you actually, but it's like, honestly, do you think they're listening to anyone else other than their like coach that they see every single day? So, I mean, we have social media now and we have YouTube and all these different ways of contacting like people. Like I remember when I was, um, you know, going through the ranks, I was, I was refreshing Mike Hazel's like blog every single, you know, day and he would only post like every other month or something like that. I wish he would have posted more. Um, but it's like, there was just no access to these kinds of things. Now people have access and they're trying to find the answers. And, you know, every time someone reaches out to me, I, I, the first question I had to him, like, you know, who's your coach? You know, listen to your coach. Even if your coach is just like one step ahead of you, um, they're there every day for you. And they're actually watching you. I am not, I can't be there for you like that. And so it's like a disservice to you to, to, to give you advice um, even if you want it. Now, if you don't have a coach and you're really like struggling to do this on your own and you're trying to find some answers, then man, I, I highly suggest finding someone that can just watch video footage of you all the time, you know, and it may not be, you know, the Michael Shuey of, you know, the javelin right now um, it may be someone that's not as good um, but again, if they can just watch for one or two things, man, you'll find some success.
0: Absolutely. That, that's exactly how I would put it. Uh, just even if you don't have that coach, because I was I was really self-coached. Uh, and now with the season canceled, like I have a lot of time alone, but like you just have that one person that you can send things to, one person you trust, super important. And not just like ja- javelin tips, Google search, and then you just take in whatever's on there, read the top or first two pages, and then you have whatever. And like, there's going to be so many different things that get in your head that it's not probably not going to go very well for you.
1: Yeah. No.
0: So when, now I know you had, uh, this is funny when you emailed me back. No, well, not funny. Cause it was really uh, painful. I'm sure. But your injury report, he just called titles it in bold injury report. And then write lists all his injuries. Like, I guess we know about the UCL tear, but just like talk about the rest of it and just like the re tearing and everything like that. Like how all that happened and just, I mean, maybe advice or things you learned from that.
1: Yeah. So I remember, um, Nationals got over in 2009. Um, I did really, gosh, I did really poorly. I can't even remember where it was. It was at Oregon. Yeah. I did really poorly. Season got over, and my coach was like, hey, I need you to just take a couple weeks off and do some active recovery. Go out and run and play basketball, do whatever, but just don't do anything track related. Because I was so hungry to do something more track related, and she knew I needed to take some break. So, I went to the rec center at Oregon and started playing pickup basketball. Um, these guys would not pass to me and my, my roommate. And finally I I made a, I got a few rebounds, made a few points. They started giving me the ball some more. And sure enough, we get on a breakaway. I ask for the (laughs) alley-oop and he throws it to me. I throw it down and on my way down, my left leg landed. And that's my block leg a little bit before my right. And it decided to go out to the left. Um, instead of bending like a regular knee so I basically created a second joint and um, I tore my ACL I tore my meniscus and I tore my MCL so it's like a big three it's really common Um, but I must have yelled so loud the entire gym just stopped and um, I got an MRI and actually I remember getting checked out by our physios and these are Oregon physios. These are good physios. And uh, they're <laughs> like, I think you definitely t- uh, tore your MCL, but I'm not a doctor. I'm not going to tell you whether you told your ACL or not. So I I nearly cried right then and there because that was six weeks of recovery. Um, and that scared me. So by Uh-oh. the time I got my MRI, I go, uh, Doc was, and he's like, you tore your ACL. So you are six months out um, from coming back from that to getting back to practice. And then you're probably more like nine months out from really competing. Um, and I still had another year left over at Oregon and I was the number one ranked guy in the, in, in college and, uh, or one of at least, I mean, uh, Chris Hill ended up going pro and Corey white graduated. So I think I was the only one kind of left. that was over 80 meters. And, um, Dude, that was heartbreaking. Um, and I worked really hard. I came back. Um, I can't even remember. I think my first couple of meets weren't that great, but then I started throwing farther. Um, and I, I got to nationals, and I was I was super confident that I was gonna you know win at home, um, you know at nationals in Oregon. And then what does it do? It pours down rain on our final. Um, and we had the second round of finals. So we would have like, it, it was randomly seated, but me and my teammate got put in the second round. We would have automatically gone on finals. It was the best, but round one, it didn't rain round two. It poured on us. And I remember the first throw going at like 71. I'm just like, wow, that's <laughs> not going to qualify. Yeah. And the second throw like doesn't go any farther. I'm just like, wow, I have one throw left. And sure enough, third throw didn't go far enough. Um, and I just, uh, literally was like packing my bags right there. And then I remember us watching, we, we came back the next day with hoodies on, just pulled tight. So no one could see who we were. The, the, the newspaper the next day at the local newspaper said, Oregon's title hopes washed away on the rain soaked javelin runway. Yikes. And I'll just let everyone know we were going up for the first triple crown in like modern history. So the last triple crown was probably in like the sixties or seventies when there weren't a lot of teams. The Triple Crown is winning cross country nationals, indoor nationals, outdoor nationals. It just hasn't been done because there's too much depth. And if I would have won, we would have easily won the whole thing. If I would have taken like seventh place, we would have scored enough points. So um, yeah, we didn't want our faces to be shown. Um, Long story short, went on to USA nationals uh, at Drake, my least favorite place in the entire world and uh I think it was like my third throw I plant we're on Mondo and Mondo's like I'm sure you've thrown on Mondo I've been to Drake
0: and on their runway I literally know exactly what you're talking about
1: and they force you to wear like shorter spikes because Mondo has like a like if you buy our track we guarantee it to be you know great for this many years if you use these spikes but the littler spikes like are really sharp and they just would cut through like butter so my third throw, I planted, slid like a foot, and then my knee buckled, and I fell to the ground. And um, was that 2010? Yeah, it was 2010. I
0: watched the video that you sent right before this, so I know exactly what you're talking about. It didn't look and, very and, good.
1: And the cameraman's like, "Oh, I, I he fell. I, I think he's hurt." Well, and I, I, I walked a- away from it actually because of all the previous damage. I think my nerve endings probably didn't exist. Uh, but I re-tore my ACL my meniscus and my MCL. Um, and then like three or four months after surgery and coming back and trying to do this professionally, uh, I re my meniscus and had another surgery. So I had, and, and to cap it all off, um, the meniscus, not i meniscus, the ACL, the graft they use is actually from your patella tendon and Google it, watch some YouTube videos, you'll want to vomit. But uh, <laughs> they take a chisel, like the real wood chisel, And they chisel your kneecap and your shin and they take a bone plug from each and they insert that into your ACL and screw it in with a real like titanium screw. Um, so now I'm missing a middle third of my patellar tendon. Um, and I have patellar tendonitis like probably forever because I'm like missing that. Um, so I was just always in extreme pain and it was just all about like kind of managing that. So, um, But I was – I don't know why I was still determined to keep on throwing professionally. I don't know what I was thinking. But
0: That's the part that I'm thinking about. Well, before we get to that, like, the part that you mentioned about the newspaper, I think is, like, Oregon's probably the only school in, like – the country that's going to have that where it's like they're actually going to have like the press because it's like obviously track town big like everything like track is so important there that like i don't think there's many other teams that that would even make the paper probably but that's like crazy that there was like actually that much and like as you said home meets six six thousand fans or like 10 a.m there's two thousand you're like yeah so it was pretty dead and it's like anyone else in the country is two thousand fans is like shitting their pants for back of a lack of a better term exactly yeah uh, that's really unique but yeah the fact that you were able to anyone on like these are 2010, 2011. Like you through till what 2017. So it's not like you were yeah you were two years and you were done, or one year and you were done. Like you went on for a considerable time. So that's obviously very impressive. But also you said like psychotic.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think you kind of have to be. Uh, I mean, if you bring Sean back on or something like that, we actually wanted to do a podcast on like the crazy switch and how you know you have to be basically nuts in order to you know be good, like insanely good at something. Um, gosh like when I trained as a decathlete like if you want to find a really good like athlete in any sport you need a crazy switch in something Um, decathlon like I remember running the 1500 um, my claim to fame actually is <laughs> in the decathlon the 10th event I went up against a 400 hurdler and I was down by 10 points to take third overall in our uh, at our nationals for community college and my coach is like Cyrus like you're just you're just not gonna beat this guy, but <laughs> we're gonna try to run him into the ground and hopefully he like falls off. So we went out at 73 second pace, which is like a 420 pace, I think, um, for a 1500. And I was like, well, you guys can go at that pace. I'm gonna die after a lap. <laughs> but sure enough, after three laps, um, the guy I needed to beat by three seconds, he passed me and it pissed me off and it turned on a crazy switch and i just started sprinting i had 400 meters left um and i just started passing everyone and with like 100 meters left i was way in front and uh, i just but i was locking up my teammate passed me and ended up winning the whole thing um and i ended up beating this 400 hurdler and ran a 435 and i don't even know how it's possible because there's no way i could ever do that again um, but it was like one of my proudest accomplishments, I think. Um we went home and actually told some of our distance runners, this is community college. So we told them we ran four thirty three and four thirty five. They were like, uh, like we need to step up our game, these decathletes are <laughs> like faster than us. So yeah. got out of a crazy switch. That's my point.
0: I like how that's the, you go, that's my claim to fame, not the two-time Olympics or the Olympic trial, ah. all those other things. It's the 435 and the 1500. That is incredibly impressive because now like a couple my roommates are distance runners. So I'm starting to like, I knew nothing about that, but now I'm starting to like actually either understand or appreciate that. So I'm just like,
1: well, to do it on zero training too. Right.
0: Absolutely. Like, yeah,
1: No, I I was saying like, I stopped training for the decathlon after I started throwing javelin far. So I took like months of no training, no, no jumps, no hurdles. No, um, actually my first hurdle race was the decathlon to qualify for nationals. (laughs) Um, so it's just, yeah, it, it was all around stupid, insane. But again, if you have a crazy switch, you can become insanely good at pretty much anything.
0: I really like that tip and that's that'll probably go in the description of the episode once I advertise <laughs> this because I'm just that's all about the crazy switch there you go so then now you're training post-collegiately like I mean you had so many experiences like I guess and obviously two of them were the Olympics the Pan Am game silver medal like maybe just pick out some of your favorite things or favorite and like I also am interested in like the worst things because it seems like everybody's had horrible things like that and then that you have so much more stuff we can get to later but like competitions specific like pick out some stuff from that
1: Yeah. Pan Am's in 2011 was like kind of a huge opportunity for me to take advantage of the season being so late. So we actually competed October 28th. Um, and because I was coming back from double ACL surgeries, back to back years, it was in my favor that I had more like time to rest and recover and get there. Um, and it also was in the Olympic qualifying window. If you threw the standard that qualified you for next year's Olympics. So, um, I started doing a bunch of research on previous year. And like, so here's, here's one of my, my tips that may only work for people that are crazy. Like me, um, was I did tons of research before meets. So 2011 USA champs, I actually knew before the meet, I had done all the stats on what it took to take first, second, third, fourth, all the way through 12 come back, compared it to what people were throwing that year. And sure enough, like, second or third throw into the meet. I I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to make, I'm going to make fourth place with this throw. I need to throw farther. Um, And so I ended up throwing farther and I placed third place, exactly what I knew would, you know, qualify for what I threw. And I took that same lesson. I took it to Pan Ams in Mexico and I knew Guillermo, he's a Cuban thrower.
0: I know exactly what you're talking about.
1: 80s or something like that. Um, And I knew he was going to, you know, was going to take a meet record in order to, you know, win the competition, which I think was somewhere around 81. Um, and so Guillermo first throw up, he throws 87, 21. (laughs) And I was just, and this is a guy that's like does backflips after his throws. Um, (laughs) And I was just like, well, there's first place right there. So we're all competing for second now. And he ended up like walking into a throw throwing 70 meters on his second throw. And then just, he gave up, he sat on the bench and just watched. Um, but Kesheron Walcott was in the competition. He was a junior, um, Sean Fury was with me and I had, I literally would pop out this piece of paper that had like first through, you know, eighth. and I'm getting into the meet, and I'm like, Oh, I'm going to, I'm not going to meddle if I don't throw farther. And I connected a few more things through like 78 or something like that, I think. And I told Sean, like, I, I've, I know what I need to do. And if I get my chest up, boom, I'm going to get this throw. Sure enough, last throw 82, 24 and literally it landed and Sean goes, well, there's your, you're going to the Olympics. And I was like, what are you talking about? Well, 82 was the the standard for the Olympics and I would have been the only person in the U S with that standard. So it punched my ticket to make the Olympic games in 2012 and I got a silver medal out of it. So, uh, excuse me. Um, Just, Awesome, exciting thing to have happen, I guess, and just it—it it really like I don't know—woke me up to what is what is possible, what I can do, and uh and to just I don't know, keep on pushing through some of the stuff that I I had gone through with injuries and things like that.
0: Right, absolutely, and like you said before, you've had those two two years of ten meter PRs from there, and like that's just unlocking those things inside you, and then obviously, even though 82 24 two twenty four wasn't your personal best at the time, but to like hit it when it mattered in two ways that you could get one get the medal but two hit that qualifying mark like that's just like even if it's not better technically it's just like that's by far the most important throw you've ever made so to be able to do that and like think like wow like these things are possible and i think it's like crazy and like i'm like i like to look things up too before meets or like anything like that but not at the level you're doing it like you're you're next level with that (laughs) i was
1: insane man I, i i remember telling sean he was like i think he took fourth but I remember asking him like, do you want to know, you know, what it's going to take? And he goes, no, I don't want to know. <laughs> and sure enough, I like looked at my sheet. I was like, you're going to take four for that throw. And sure enough, he took four. So, um, but uh, yeah. And I don't know if people felt, thought I was clutch for it because I had a couple clutch moments definitely in my career um, that we can talk about, but I definitely had some big fails. So 2012 was actually a huge fail. Um, I went on to um, my first throw in qualifying of Olympic trials. I throw a javelin; it snaps in half mid-flight. Both, it, literally, it was like um, the movie *The Natural*. The very end, he knocks the cover off of the the baseball, and it, like <laughs> the spool comes loose and stuff like that. And the javelin literally like split at the handle, and it started unraveling the handle and the both ends like stuck in the ground at like 60 meters so like this is a javelin like didn't fly well but i put enough (laughs) force through it that it still went both ends like 60 meters so they treated it like um a uh like a broken pole vault you just get another attempt um but i was mentally just destroyed um so i didn't throw well in qualifying but i made finals um and then I went on to the to, to finals and I wasn't throwing well either. And sure enough, um, it was like my, I don't know, like I think it was my second throw. I planted and twisted my knee and had a bone bruise on my same plant leg. Um, and I remember I walked back, it was kind of cold out and I put my pants on. And by the time I got my pants on, I couldn't walk anymore. Um, and I was sitting in like fifth, um, I think. I don't even remember, but I, 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 hobbled over to my coach and I said, you know, I'm done. Like I can't throw anymore. And she's like, what's wrong. I'm like, I, I think I blew out my knee again. <laughs> and uh, Sam Humphreys was throwing super far. Sam Krauser was throwing super far. And I basically had to like, this is the worst feeling I've ever, but I had to pray they wouldn't throw the standard right. in order for me to make the team because I was the last of the three guys with a standard and if I was gonna, if anyone threw the standard, I was bumped out of the Olympic Games. So like a year before, I punched my ticket, and all of a sudden, I'm not going anymore potentially. So um, I kept on fighting. I ended up like throwing a little bit in warm ups, and like I hobbled my way down, planted like 74, I think, on my last throw. But it was super heartbreaking um, to not place top three and still make an Olympic team. And like, there's just that asterisk next to your name that like, you kind of made the Olympic team off of a technicality and um, you know, there's no chasing of marks or anything like that. So at that moment, I decided that I was going to choose my my fate for the rest of my career. Um, I didn't want to pray for someone else to do bad for me to do well. right? Um, And so I was never gonna lose, leave my fate in someone else's hands. So, um, I mean, just a jump forward um to two thousand and sixteen Olympic trials, um, gosh, I had the standard. I was the only one with the standard i believe i'm I'm spacing now um, but I was in fourth, and I pulled out my little cheat sheet and I'm like, yeah you're gonna not, you're not gonna win with this mark uh Curtis Thompson threw a bomb like eighty two meters. And I get up for my next throw and I just slammed it. And actually, you know, sorry, backtrack. Um, I yelled at the the crowd to give me a USA chant. And I just USA, USA. And it did not go well. Like no one chanted. Um, And I think I tried to get people to do like a slow clap the next throw. And that's that's when I threw far and I, I hit it. And I like looked at the jumbotron and it went over the 83 meter line. And I knew I had just won the meet and it was Olympic trials record. And I just started pulling at the stands. Like it was because of you guys, like cheering me (laughs) on and stuff. And I, again, it was like, I'm not leaving my fate in someone else's hands. I'm going to take on this and I'm going to win this and put myself in the best possible chance to be making this Olympic team. So yeah.
0: Yeah. That's awesome. And I think that's a lesson that even goes outside of competitions. Like, just taking ownership of anything you're doing especially in your career like whether or not it's like at this meet i need to do this type of thing but just like i'm not gonna let my like if you have a bad situation with the coach that you're not just gonna like take what's spoon fed and just be like oh like this is just how it is this is what's gonna happen i'm not gonna get any better like taking it in your own hands and being like i i want to decide if i'm good or not or like if i if i really think i did everything and i can't get better then this is as good as i can be but that type of thing and just like taking ownership.
1: keep pushing through things and fight through the plateaus and and not take you know when someone tries to tell you your goals aren't obtainable that's because they couldn't do it that's because they can't achieve it like you can do anything um you know that you want to as long as you're willing to put in the work for it so right. that was one thing you know throughout my career was just that you know i didn't have a whole lot i mean i was working jobs um while competing. Um, I was on the Oregon track club post-collegiately and I remember Vin Lanana, our head coach at Oregon, and he was the Oregon track, uh, coach or sorry, Oregon track club coach. And we only had like three field athletes. We had Jesse Williams on the high jump who won worlds in like 2011. We had Ashton Eaton, uh, Brian Eaton and myself, and we were all like world-class and none of us were getting anything. We didn't right. get money we didn't get stipends. We didn't get health insurance. Uh, we basically were allowed to just train there. And by allowed to train there, I was not allowed at Oregon, um, when the other track athletes were there. So I came in early, um, to get my workouts done because if the Oregon track athletes arrived, it could have potentially taken away their, um, their, uh, eligibility because they would be training with professional athletes, which is, um, an unfair advantage. So the way to get around it, like you have, you can be an assistant coach, but they're only allowed so many assistant coaches. Not everyone can just be an assistant coach. So, um, I was really at the short end of the stick on that. And I just was, and I remember Vinland telling me, he's like, he's like, I don't care, you know, who you are, how well you do. He's like, you could throw 200 meters and you will not get a dime of funding from the Oregon Track Club. And I was just like, great.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's comforting. (laughs) This is
1: terrible to look forward to. So um, yeah, it was just a, it was always a struggle. Um, And in, and I was doing everything on my own. In 2013, I went off to Germany on my, like with all my own money, spent thousands of dollars to fly there. Um, Trained with uh, Boris Henry, who is now Mm -hmm. Boris Oberfl, sorry. I made that um, mistake
0: on a post a couple of weeks ago. I didn't know that, but yeah, I wish I would have heard yeah, that. before Yeah, so I did when it. she won <laughs> world
1: championships, they made a bet that if she could win world championships, when they got married, he would change his name to hers. <laughs> so she won, and he changed his name.
0: That's hilarious. But I
1: trained there for God, like a couple months, I want to say, and things were going really well. I even came back to a trap or to a, a throws um, session at the train center and threw, like, 82 meters in practice. And just as, like, we talked about this uh, before the show or the podcast, but I never threw far. When I threw 83 meters in college, my farthest throw in practice was 63 meters. No joke. (laughs) That's, Um, like,
0: there's a point where it's, like, oh, yeah, like, the adrenaline helps. 20-meter boost, like, I don't know what was going on there.
1: I was legit, like, if I can throw, like, 65, I know I'm in 80-meter shape. So, I mean, even (laughs) – pan ams i remember the my one of my last throwing sessions at oregon i threw 77 that was a massive um practice pv um for me and then uh gosh even at the training center when i ended up going there god i mean sean just thought i was crazy he's like how do you throw 60 meters in you know in practice and then go through 80 meters at a meet so um but uh yeah i was just struggling i think um in 2013, I fractured my back in my L4, L5, probably from just throwing too hard and too much. Famous quote from Bro Greer is, if you don't get injured throwing the javelin, you're not throwing hard enough. Um, I think he's kind of right, sadly. I was uh, kind of talking
0: about that with someone earlier, too. It's like, even when you're doing everything right, you're still like putting yourself in so many positions that it's like, I don't know, something's going to yeah. go.
1: <laughs> javelin is a terrible thing on your body just to let you know no matter how right you're doing it it is such an unnatural thing like i can't remember what it was but i think it was my like, tiger woods or something like that he said professional athletes are trying to make things that the human body is not meant to do look easy and it's just like that's like 100 true like we're not supposed to torque up into these positions and 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 handle these forces like vetter was just like quoted in like a recent post it um his block leg had you know 2000 pounds of force going through it and like it's 100% true and like you know the elbow is not supposed to handle this and things like that um yeah the javelin is just terrible for your body it's it's definitely one of the <laughs> worst things um in track and field for sure just so damaging and i pretty much have all of it um but i made the decision to um i started asking about the olympic training center and i i reached out to them and they were like yeah. Yeah. Like we'll put you in for the next list. And I'm just like, okay, what do I need to do? I'm like, no, you just did it. You just telling us that you are interested. Like, okay. Um, Sean Fury was there. Craig Kinsley was there. Um, Ryan Young was there. Um, all guys throwing, you know, near the standard Ryan throwing like 79. Um, and so it's just, it was the place to be. Um, and so fall of 2014, I moved down to San Diego to the Olympic training center in full expectation to just compete for two years and, and give another shot at, you know, making an Olympic team. If I was going to have a shot at all, I needed medical benefits. And the only place I was going to get that was at the training center in Chula Vista. So um, I moved there. And shortly after moving there, like I was just having all kinds of shoulder problems, Uh, got an MRI and found out that at some point in time I had uh, torn my rotator cuff and labrum. Um, again, probably throwing, um, too hard in practice or something like that. I have no idea. They even found an old collarbone fracture that I had that I didn't even remember happening. Um, but, uh, I was devastated and, but I was just going to keep training through and just like, I only have one more year till Olympics. I might as well try and fall came and I was cut from the program. Um, I was even living offsite at Andreas Thorkelson's house. So, I was basically costing them nothing to have me train there. Right. I would just show up. I would eat food there and get med- medical attention there, but the medical staff was like going to get paid no matter what. Like it wasn't extra cost. Right. Um and all my offsite expenses like and I still paid for all my flights, all my travel, like booked that all myself. Um so I I just was like shocked because The thing that I had heard about the program was that if you, it was always like a two-year program uh, at the training center. And if you got injured, you would get extended for an extra year, um, you know, just in case to make sure your injury didn't hold you back. So I I got cut and I was just like, fought time and tried to like contact a bunch of people. And I was like, I've got one year left. Just let me do one more year. I moved all the way down here. Like you can't give me one more year. Um, and they're like, no, we want you to pay $125 a month to train here. And I'm just like, for what? Like I, you have a grass field, like you have to water it. You're going to water for everyone right. else. Anyway. Let me show up. I'll buy my, all my own food. So that's what I did. I bought my, all my own food and, um, they kept trying to bill me and just that, you know, every month it was like, you know, have you paid yet? And I'm just like, yeah, one of these days I will. Um, <laughs> and, uh, I, I got to our, f- gosh, it was like my first meet or something like that 2016. And it was Tucson elite. And I forgot to register. Cause I was on my own. Like I didn't have the training center. I didn't have a coach. I didn't have like a college entering me. And I just, it literally spaced me. So the day before I'm emailing to enter myself i literally baked fresh cookies for the uh meat director <laughs> to let me in and not just let me in like the b meat i wanted to be in the a meat and they eventually because i had like my pb was 83 meters like you've been in the olympics at
0: that point too like yeah I mean, come it's on. like
1: don't <laughs> put me in the b section even though that's all i really deserve um and so she like bumped me into the a meat and i was like i promise you i won't take last is all i told her and uh <laughs> and she's like all right and like a few people were butthurt about it and not super happy because they got bumped but um my first throw i was like i threw 83.83 meters and i was just like dude what the hell like i <laughs> yeah. threw like 73 or something like that the year before like i had torn my rotator cuff in the labrum like so many injuries i just i didn't expect to ever throw far again right but um and like sean and craig were all like blown away because they had seen me training and seeing that I like I don't throw far in training Uh, but again that crazy switch you've got to like turn it on you got to just go out there and hit it Um, and yeah I punched my ticket uh, to making another Olympic team basically with that throw Um, incredibly again clutch to do something like that Um, and yeah I mean I just I guess I never expected it either so it was, it was a really awesome thing.
0: The part that is just insane, like obviously you have that great result, but like prior to that, you were an Olympic athlete being billed 125 a month to train at the Olympic Training Center. Not just like oh you get no benefits; it's free. Like they're actually trying to charge you money. Yeah. To be there, yeah. which is like, it doesn't even seem real to like anyone who's on the outside of that, like either in the sport like me who's not at that level or someone who just. It's just, I mean, whoever turns on the TV, like you said before, you'd never watch the Olympics really. Like someone who just turns on the TV and says, Oh, the javelin's on. I don't think there's anyone that would think, Oh, this guy who's in the competition is going to have to pay USA TF or whoever's running it to train at the place. Like they'd think, Oh, these are professional athletes. They get all this stuff and blah, 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 but it's really not like that.
1: Yeah. I remember going to a meet um, as one of my buddy's coaches and he had to pay like his $15 dues to get into the meet. And it was at Oregon and they just thought I was rich and they were like, Oh, I'm sure Cyrus can pay for it. And I'm just like, I don't have any money. Like, what are you talking about? Like, I have nothing. Like my, my contract with Nike when I made the Olympic team was five thousand dollars base salary for the whole year and gear. Like I got paid more in gear than I did in actual money. <laughs> yeah. And then when I re-signed with them in 2016, um, I didn't get the base salary at all. They just gave me gear. Um, And just like, so it basically cost them nothing, but I, you know, and you're an Olympian trying to train at the Olympic training center and they're trying to make money off of you and you already have nothing. So it's just like, I don't know. It it was, it was a bit ridiculous. Um, But even after I hit that throw, all the coaches started pushing for me to get full funding back in the Olympic training center. And the head of the Olympic training center was like, no, like, He's going to have to keep paying his way. That's and incredible. sure enough, it yeah. was like the day I made the Olympic team, actually, in 2016. then he was like, oh, we're happy to just like, you know, retroactively let you not have to pay any of those fees. <laughs> and I'm just like, convenient. Like, yeah. I did well, and all of a sudden, so it was absurd. Um, but yeah, uh, I, I never got along well with the, the people at USATF.
0: Yeah, that that's something like I said, uh, Joe Greenberg had mentioned to me off camera, like Cyrus has this story about that. And like, I did not expect that that's all the details, like what it was. I was like, oh, I don't know what happened. But to hear that, like, like I said, it's just incredibly surprising and obviously unfortunate, but you were able to succeed, not because of them and despite of them, actually. But uh, obviously, that's a testament to what you're able to do with yourself and not...
1: And- And that's not a story that he's like talking about. So that was like my first encounter with them not (laughs) letting me use the training center. Um, But, you know, fast forward another year, I kept on training. Um, And uh, 2017, I went on to Worlds, went to London, uh, did a little stint in Germany at some different meets and uh, came back and was just trying to stay in shape to get ready for the next year. And I, I went into the train center and we have access cards and I'm, I'm swiping to get in and it just keeps on denying me. And I, I went into the, um, the front desk. And I was like, Hey, like my, my card's not working. Can You reactivate it or whatever. And you know, this, the train center is no longer owned by the Olympic committee or anything like that. Um, it's now owned by the city of San Diego or Chula Vista. Um, and so they break the news to me, like, actually, you know, you're not in our system because you're not, continued into this program and i was just like what like they didn't even tell me they didn't even email me they didn't call me they just like deactivated my card and so like i kind of like i wrote a blog post about it and it's just kind of like an office space where you know the guy's getting paid uh but they fired him a long time ago so they just like fixed the error in the system and like now he's just not getting paid yeah you know conflicts solved we'll just deactivate his card and you know problem solved so, um, that's when I kind of got into the more of the political game of track and field. And I started pushing for athlete rights because like 2014 and 15, I, I thought I was on a two year contract and turns out I had no rights. Um, you know, continuing to throw in 2017 and I still didn't have rights. I didn't have any waiver or signed agreement with the Federation or USOC that I could continue to throw there pending. I had a certain result or you know, through a certain distance or qualified for a certain meet. There was just like, and basically I aged out. Like they determined without telling me or, you know, previously telling me or signing a contract that, you know, at a certain point, you're too old to basically be in this program anymore. So they they cut me from the program and I started pushing for legal action, not for myself, but for any future athlete that wanted to be there, they should have rights and know what they need to do in order to be there the next year. Right. Um, And they just wouldn't do it. And they finally gave me um, the opportunity to stay at the training center pending that I worked with the throws coach that was there um, and only him. And I just basically flat out refused. Um, (laughs) He's not a good coach um, and doesn't know what he's talking about. And I didn't feel like, how could he take me to the next level or maintain the level that I'm at? So if I want to get better, I need to put my fate in my own hands. And I need to make sure that, um, you know, I can do that. And he even told me like, I don't think this program's the best for you. You're, you're never going to like make it, you know, here. So I, I started looking around for different coaches and different facilities, but like, there's literally no tracks like just open that you can go throw at um, or anything like that. Not in California. Uh, not that I know of. Um, no coaching, no medical, no food, you know, my Nike contract went away, which was just gear, but, um, and I, I basically had nothing. So even though I've never actually officially retired, this, this is my official retirement actually. Everyone. Wow. I can put on that as podcast, breaking news. Yeah. Guys, I retired <laughs> in 2017. I get people that still think I'm still throwing, and especially cause I, I post training stories. Right. I wrote myself on Instagram. <laughs> so if anyone wants to just see stories of me like cooking and like lifting. Follow He's me. cooking
0: some good stuff too. I'm going to say I've gone through the stories a few times and there's a few things in there that I'm interested in. So. Dude,
1: February was insane. I was <laughs> cooking like crazy and I, I have them all like tagged as highlights on my, my, my profile. But yeah, I basically just knew I couldn't do it. There's no way my body was going to hold up um, for the training without medical um, staff basically available and no coaching, so I just said, "You know, you know what I'm going to disappear from the sport, so I, I pretty much have I mean no one's heard of me for the last three years. Um, and I bet you know no one even knows I exist anymore, which is kind of like a testament of how shitty um, that this sport is to the athletes and how it needs to change, and how our federation and our u s can be enough for our athletes so right. I wish our athletes the best, and I'm literally a phone call, text message, Instagram, DM away from helping anyone in our sport. But other than that, I really kind of want nothing to do with it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, I, I get it, man. Like, hearing that story is just incredibly upsetting, just looking from the outside, and like, even, and it's years past, even, but I mean, imagine, like, I can't even imagine in the time it's happening, like, real time, you're at that desk asking, probably someone just has no idea what's going on, just like, oh, I'm just a minimum wage worker like checking people in or doing whatever and they're like hey you're just not in here anymore and you're like oh like and,
1: and that's who are they gonna is. do it to next like that's what i really feared uh, i mean i was at the tail end of my career uh potentially you know that was my last hurrah i mean i made worlds in 383 meters um and 383 83 the year before like the two best years i ever had in my career and i'm getting cut like you know who are they going to do that to next and it's already such a struggle that if you're not like self-funded or family funded you're not gonna make it in this very long like 2011 was my first team i was 25 years old like um i remember talking to jared rome um at pan ams and he said you know he he didn't make a dime in the sport till he was 27 um uh and it's just you know sad He's, he's passed away now but um yeah if you if you don't if you can't do this on your own like then you're just not going to be able to do it because you're not. Right. there's no There's no help out there. So um, be ready again to put matters into your own hands and and control your own fate and do as much as you personally can.
0: Right. And I think that's like you, it's funny before you said you listened to a few of the episodes and Mike Hazel was one of them and you liked what he said a lot. Like there's a part about that that's like you hear that and the first thing you hear is like, oh man, like there's no hope. But it's also like, I would much rather hear it and know it's coming like let's say I get to that point I would rather not get to there and be like wow I threw 80 meters like where's all my money and then like like oh there's no money like I would know now like you're preparing for something that is pretty much inevitable unless inevitable unless something changes so I think that's really just raw and like the truth I, I'd rather hear the truth than hear something that's like yeah once you get to this mark like everything's sunshine and roses obviously if you're throwing 95 or something like that that's maybe different but like you're still at a super elite athlete two-time olympics and like you had those struggles so i think people are gonna maybe not like it but they're gonna like should respect to hear it and like that's just how it is like i'd rather you come on here and tell the truth than tell something that's not your experience you know
1: yeah and i think i was really fortunate that i um i always thought about my career afterwards and maybe that was my downfall of never throwing any farther is um i wasn't maybe fully committed i guess um, but, uh, I always had a backup plan. You know, I always knew that I had a, like, if there was an Olympics of like graphic design and video, like editing and, you know, shooting and stuff like that. Cause that's what I do now. Um, like I could be in the Olympics for that. Like I'm talented in other things than just the javelin. And, you know, my hope was never to just only be a javelin thrower. Cause that, if you, if you do have that mindset, like what happens when you turn 35 or 30 or get injured? Like you have no backup plan, what are you gonna do afterwards? So I always set myself up really well afterwards. And so when it came down to it um, with, you know, you you have no sponsorships, you have no funding, you have no medical, you've destroyed your shoulder, your back, your elbow, your knees, um, but yet you're Olympic caliber at other things like that will pay you so it's like now <laughs> yeah. I, I work for an it company doing corporate videos and like i fly for free i eat for free we go to like steak houses and stuff i don't get like a stipend of like five dollars a meal like i did in college um you know we're eating at like ruth chris and stuff like that like it's insane and you know i get paid for what i do you know and in, in track and feel like you could be you're not, paying for what you US do you're not getting a dime <laughs> yeah um, you're paying them yeah, yeah exactly uh, yeah <laughs> I don't need to pay to use my own training facilities so and then like you add up like your travel costs and things like that you're in the hole every single year so just like i think i knew in 2017 that it was just like that was that was it like we had a really good time and we got to travel to so many places see so many athletes and Compete against so many of the greats, beat a few of them, lose a bunch. Um, <laughs> but had a had a really great time. So um, really fortunate for what I was able to do. Still, like, highly suggest, like, if that's your dream, go for it. But realize it's going to come with, like, a lot of hardship and a lot of struggles that you're going to have to fight through. Um, but just keep remembering, if it's your dream, keep going.
0: And, and I love that you said you had these – I don't even know if they're necessarily backup plans, but just you had these other interests or other things you knew you could do that makes it, I feel like that takes the pressure off what you're doing at the time. Like I I found other things that I really enjoy and then it's just like, oh, like my practice didn't go that good. That used to be like all I did. Like you said, like, it's like, this is all I care about. This is whatever. I have a bad practice. Like my day's ruined. And it's like, now I can feel like more, I can separate those things. So like you knowing you had those other things that you could do and that you enjoyed and that you were passionate about I think is really good advice too is not those like google like top hobbies or something like you can do but like something that you really enjoy like make sure you're doing that in conjunction with the training because obviously you can train a lot but you can't train like literally the whole day so you're gonna have to spend your hours somewhere else so if you can have something that's productive and obviously like you said could make you money ideally would be pretty sweet too but just like having something else there and i think that's also something like carol winger and a lot of these top uh people have said like i need other things too like i'm not just a javelin thrower and that seems like a trend with a lot of athletes too in other sports like even the major sports like they're more than just the player the athlete or whatever
1: but i would definitely say like so i mean almost to negate what i actually just said but it's like (laughs) you you kind of also have to like when you're in the meet like you have to just go for broke so um a couple examples scott russell canadian javelin thrower 385 meters i'm in toronto with him in 2011 And he's literally this old, like six foot nine guy and he's a beast. And he does a couple picks down and back and he does a couple crossover. He goes, I'm ready. Like it must've taken (laughs) 10 minutes long and he throws 85 meters Canadian record, uh, in 2011, like a standard, but Canadian results were you had to throw the A standard twice in order to make the Olympic team. Oh wow. Canadians are like, we're going to invest in you. We want damn sure that you actually make the qual you make finals. So, he actually never made the Olympic team in 2012, even though he threw 85 meters in 2011. And, uh, you know, I, I was talking with him, and he was just like, it basically became like do or die. Like, if I don't throw far, like, I'm done. Like, there's nothing else left. Um, and so, 2017, uh, my last year, um, I had all kinds of back problems. Oh, my God like I had back problems. Um, so stre- stress fracture, in my L4, L5 in my back for the fourth out of five years. Um, I remember squatting, like I was working up in box squats and, and, uh, Ryan Krauser looks over, he's like, that is the ugliest 160 kilo back squat I've ever seen. <laughs> I'm like, right. What the hell's wrong right now? And turns out I like fractured my back that day. So, um, basically backed off of everything for like eight weeks. Um, you know, was trying to throw with like a back brace on and all this stuff and, uh, come back and it still hurts like crazy. I'm throwing like, not throwing on the runway at all anymore, just grass. And, um, I think I skipped like a bunch of meets that year and I got to USA's and with full intention, 100% intention to break my back. And not be able to walk after the meet. I, the only squats, <laughs> the only like snatch, like all the lifting I was doing was goblet squats. So I had like a dumbbell in at yeah. my chest in front of me and I was just doing squats like that, like a 40 pound dumbbell. It's the only lift I could do um, that wouldn't hurt my back. And um, so I got in that meet. I remember picking up a Gatorade box and doing like goblet squats basically with it. And I warmed up and um, I like didn't warm up because I knew that my first throw was going to break my back. And um the competition was doing really bad. And my first throw I threw 79 meters and it was just like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and my back held. And I was just like, I guess I'm not going to die today. <laughs> but I was fully intended on, on dying. Um, and that's the same thing happened. Like a couple weeks later, I went to a Chase the Standard in Pennsylvania and I fully intended on breaking my back. And I had like all these like heat patches on my back and a back brace. And I threw 83 meters and hit the standard to go to worlds. And then Sean recently, Fury asked me like, how did you do it? And like, this is a guy that trained with me every single day. He goes, how did you do it in 2017? And I was just like, Sean, I was ready to die. I was like, I was willing to die. I mean, if you want to come back and you want to throw far and you want to make another Olympic team, I said, you need to be willing to run down the runway and like straight up give your entire body to it. And one analogy that I kind of always give is that you're gonna be met, and, and anyone that plays football may understand this too, is um, the end of the runway, there's like a brick wall. And if you run through it, you will break the brick wall down. But if you hesitate in the javelin, that brick wall is gonna hit you. And the same thing happens with football. You go to tackle someone and you hesitate, mm. dude, you're gonna get you're gonna get ran over. So it was for me, it was always like I have to break through this brick wall, I have to run fast enough, hard enough, hit it and risk everything in order to get this so it took me far it's what made me go from 63 meter practices to 83 meter competitions that that 20 meter jump that crazy switch so anyone that's listening still um i know this is a long podcast for you but um, <laughs> you got to be able to risk it all and and just know that you know wherever the chips fall afterwards is you'll be fine
0: there's uh an analogy that's basically saying the same thing it's just the, I guess the summary of it I can't even remember it now something about like a warrior going into battle like you f- fear the one that's not afraid to die or whatever like that or like surrendering the outcome there it's like if someone's like oh my god like if I hurt my back like I don't know what I would do you're not going to throw as far as you said all right I'm expecting it to be done so whatever like whatever ha- I'm going to throw as far as I can and just after I'll figure it out like being able to surrender that outcome and just do it I think that's insanely good advice and like you said it is getting long but it's like for those who are staying they're going to get a lot of valuable nuggets out this because i think there's just so many things you're hitting on that are really awesome
1: i mean honestly it talked forever so you know, have me <laughs> on again some other time <laughs> yeah.
0: all right to wrap it up yeah actually before i get to wrapping up yes i would love to do that sean uh conversation you had or you mentioned earlier like putting having you two guys together because i had him before so hopefully fingers crossed he would like to come back and i'm hoping you would too so uh that would be awesome to have that on there because i'm always trying to add in like things that are different because i love hearing everybody's stories but also when you can mix in like two three people at once and like get a group conversation going i think that's also another thing people really like a lot so definitely so last thing the question i ask everybody who is your favorite thrower of all time and why
1: I was hoping you'd ask this because I've, I've been thinking about it. I've been listening to your podcast listening to what other people's answers were. And uh, and if you would have asked me as I was, um, you know, competing throughout my career, um, especially in the college years, Taro Pickamaki, like hands down, just loved him. Um, met him multiple times. He's like so stone cold, um, <laughs> quiet. Like, I mean, Zalesny is the same way. Like you go ask for a picture of a Zalesny you want to be like, disappointed the guy's not gonna smile like yeah. you're not gonna get much out of that guy um but i i had a really awesome opportunity to meet so many amazing throwers compete against them like i, I got to beat sergey makarov at prefontaine classic like he was at the end of his career i was on my rise so i was just like stoked to do that like, I, I told you i lost the bro greer by a foot but honestly um my favorite thrower and and you know, maybe a lot of young throwers are listening right now, but Google her, uh, but Christina full, like watch a video of her. She had the crazy switch. She ran down the runway so hard and hit it so hard. And you'll just like fall in love with that intensity. Um, and so hands down, I would say Christina was just um, amazing. And then I got a chance to train with her, compete with her. Um, and in fact, I'll take full credit for Johannes Vetter being so good because <laughs> he heard my blog posts about training in Germany with her and decided he's going to move all this stuff and move in with them. And that's what he did. So now that's
0: an interesting fact. That is a really, I good mean, one. I, I don't take any credit. For <laughs> yeah. it, no, uh, it's still, it's still really interesting though. And like super cool that, I mean, he's obviously so talented that you were able to have any any impact or anything like that on him so
1: yeah he he's a freak too like uh I competed against him in Paris and I threw like 75 and he threw like 74 and I was like so happy I beat him <laughs> and then we trained together for like a week uh before we went to Berlin and the whole week he's like taking days off and he's just like oh my body feels so terrible so we get to Berlin and I'm just like well no I'm going to beat better no, no big deal and uh, we get to the meet his first throw he throws 89 meters and i was just like dude you were supposed to be like <laughs> done for the year i was so mad but uh, no such a talented guy uh, i mean i've seen so many 90 meter throws by him he's gonna be um you know one of the all-time greats for sure
0: last this is actually the last last thing that's normally the last thing but i was thinking about this earlier and i never got to fit it in how did your projection work for the 2012 Olympics when Kestron Walcott was like out of nowhere. Was that like was that like the projection buster or what was the deal with no, that?
1: Definitely not a projection whatsoever. Um not even on the radar. Um, <laughs> and and the funny thing is I, I mean to go back to like USATF, but it's like you have 84 meters wins an Olympic gold medal. What should you do? You should invest in the javelin. Like you have a very like Small amount of money, like, so at the training center, we had at one time, Ryan Young, 79, Sam Krauser was like 81 or something like that. And, and eventually through 83, myself at 83, Sean at 82 or 83, and then Craig at 83. And just like, where are you going to find all that talent? At a training center and then what ends up happening is like we all dispersed and like went our separate ways and got defunded (laughs) and like this is also when joe kovacs darrell hill ryan krauser all trained at the training center as well and you're just like what is going on why aren't we funding the javelin and so yeah if you want to put like projection somewhere that's when we should have invested I, i i my career was through so many phases of like the Andreas and Tara Pickamaki were trailing off when my career was kind of starting. And then we went into like a lull of like not very good throws. And then all of a sudden Diego pops out of nowhere and Thomas roller, Johannes Vedder, like all these Germans and like, you know, gosh, like the list goes on of so many 90 meter throwers. And just like, I got to live through and tra- and compete against and train with, all of those different generations. And I'm really excited to see, you know, the future generations that come, um, especially if, if the U.S. can can really step up their game.
0: Yeah, that's the motto of the podcast or the lesson, I guess, the overarching theme you gave us. But uh, Cyrus, thank you so much because this is awesome from so many different things. Like it was uh, real, but then you also had some funny things. You had some uh, informational things. So I, I really appreciate you coming on and us getting, getting this figured out.
1: Yeah, maybe next time it'll be a little lighter, a little more
0: fun. <laughs> yeah, you and Sean will just be making it light, I guess.
1: Oh, that'll, that'll be a hoot for sure.
0: <laughs> well, awesome, man. Thanks.
1: Coast to coast, where I do the most. Promise I ain't going to coast on your hoop. If I make it out of stone, I'm going to keep you around. Swear to God, I'm not going to switch on your hoop. <laughs>